0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all as we worship the Lord this day. And before we go into the sermon, I know that uh, many of you who are part of our covenant family uh, heard, heard the news this past week that a young boy who was a part of our congregation and uh, the Duckworth family who moved to Raleigh a few years ago, that they uh, lost Titus uh, this past week uh, real unexpectedly and, and real tragically, this seven-year-old boy. And part of being a church is being a covenant family. That's what it means to belong. And so I want to go into a time of of just prayer specifically for the Duckworth family in this time of loss as we lament together um, all that's taken place and as we affirm our trust and confidence in the goodness and faithfulness of God. So let's pray together for that purpose before we turn to God's word this morning. Let's pray with me. Father, I I know that many of us have had our hearts heavy, uh, Lord, these last few days. Lord, as we have have heard about uh, the loss of of Titus Duckworth, Father, he was such a a precious boy. And Lord, we have such fond memories of of him running around this very room in the early days of our church family, first being founded, first being planted, first covenanting together. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, for the Duckworths. We pray for Thramon and Flores Diel. Father, we pray that you would give them comfort Lord, and I'm sure which is a, a season of such unusual and hard grief. Lord, I know that many of us have shed many tears. Even this past Wednesday night at prayer meeting, we shed tears over this news. But Father, we often don't understand, Lord, the purposes of your will or your providence. But Lord, we affirm this day that we trust you. Lord, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your faithfulness. We trust, indeed, that your mercies are new every morning. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that this day that you would wrap the Duckworth family in the sweet hope and comfort of promises found in your word, found in the gospel, made certain and true by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Father, we pray for your comfort now. And, Lord, we pray for the Duckworth family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. We are right in the middle of this series as we start off the new year thinking through the means of grace. And this series has differed a little bit from our normal expositional studies through books of the Bible. And this, this series is focusing on the, what are the means of grace and how do they function and, and operate in the life of the Christian to help us grow in holiness and also experience joy and communi- communion with the Lord. So as we turn to Luke chapter 10, we're going to, to continue to think through those themes Um, As we lay the foundation and the framework for the Christian spiritual life, next week we will begin to get more practical looking at the specific means. But today, I want to help us think through the posture of the means of grace. And to do that, we look at two of our favorite sisters in the Bible, Mary and Martha. So let's look at Luke 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister Has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once again. Father, as we turn to your word, we ask for your help. Lord, give us understanding. Help our hearts to have a posture before you that is humble, attentive, eager to hear what you, O Holy Spirit, would instruct us this day from your word. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in this gathering of your church and in the preaching of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, most of us live a fairly hurried life. Even though we have seen some remarkable advancements in technology in our lifetime, advancements that save incredible amounts of time, we still seem to never have enough time, do we? From microwaves to computers to automobiles and more, you would think that the speed and and ease of these modern conveniences would have reduced our long working hours or decreased the, the busyness in our lives, but it hasn't. In fact, in some kind of strange, bizarre way, I think we feel more hectic with these modern technologies, don't we? On top of that, we live in a culture, in an age that that values activity and productivity and efficiency, right? We measure often our value in society and, and sometimes even our value as a Christian by the number of widgets we make, data we crunch, or products we build, but this activity, this Constant need to do something, to produce something. That's not just an, an American thing. That's, that's also kind of an evangelical thing, this evangelical culture that so many of us find ourselves a part of. Evangelical historian David Bebbington defines the evangelical movement in four words. And I think he's pretty right on the money, right? He said there's four words, and this is often called the Bebbington Quadrilateral, in case you start getting really serious in your studies of evangelical history, right? So here's, here's what the four are. Conversionism, we value conversion, seeing people converted to Christ. Biblicism, we value biblical authority and the preaching and teaching of the Bible, great. Crucicentrism, which is a fancy word for saying cross-centered. We keep the cross centered in in our thinking, in our activity. And then the fourth that he mentions is activism. Activism. As he studies evangelicalism, those are kind of the four recurring attributes he sees in us as a movement. And and, you know, as we think about it, uh, we like to be busy, don't we? that we want to do something for the Lord, do something great, do something that's going to be remembered, do something that, that make an impact. So, so we tend to start parachurch organizations. We plan conferences. We form committees. We mobilize movements We publish articles. We schedule events. And on and on the list goes. Our our tendency as evangelical Christians in America sometimes is that we live by the motto, Jesus is coming, somebody look busy, doing something for Jesus. Now, the Lord has used that, that impulse towards activism in a lot of wonderful ways, hasn't he? Mission boards have been started. Seminaries have been sustained, organizations have begun. However, I think our disposition as evangelicals to be active and busy doing something for the Lord causes us to ignore the slow and contemplative enjoyment of God each day. We have so much that we want to do for the Lord that we can forget to Enjoy the Lord. You see, as we continue to think about how God forms his people, how he's shaping his people through the means of grace, today we're going to consider the posture of the means of grace. And so we, we want to, to take up these habits of spiritual growth that, that fuel us and help us to grow in holiness. But in what manner should we take them up? What's the posture in which we should take them up? We've discussed these last few weeks how the means of grace are, are, are grounded in the beauty of our God's triune existence how by the gospel and by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit that we as Christians are bound to Jesus, we are united to him by faith, and therefore we can experience true fellowship and enjoyment with God that transforms us into his likeness. Last week we talked about the need for the means of grace. Now the means of grace function as as channels through which we grow in grace and holiness in the Lord. And so today we're going to, to look at the posture of the means, and as we consider how we should take them up every day. And to do that, I want to look to Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42, at two sisters who teach us something about the posture of our spiritual lives before the Lord. So here's the the sermon summary. If you want to jot it down, here's where we're going today. The means of grace require humble Attentive and patient listening to Jesus. The means of grace require humble, attentive, and patient listening to Jesus. So, first, we're going to consider the posture of Martha. We're going to start with her. Second, we're going to go and consider the posture of Mary. And then, thirdly, we'll, we'll consider our posture before the Lord. That's where we're going this morning. So let's first think through Martha, the posture of Martha. Now, as Luke gives us here in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, we see that Jesus entered into her village. And one of the things that Luke mentions in verse 38 is that Martha was excited about it. Martha is excited that Jesus is coming into her town and she is eager to send Jesus an invitation and to welcome Jesus into her home. So it's, it's really easy to chide on Martha and to just rake her through the coals, isn't it? In fact, that might be our impulse when we talk about her. But we have to remember, Martha, Martha's a woman who loves Jesus, isn't she? She's she's excited about having the Lord in her home. She's excited that Jesus is coming to her town. And so as Jesus stayed with these two sisters, Martha decided that she was going to be the host that Jesus deserved. right? And while the scriptures veil her heart's motive, perhaps here she's trying to impress Jesus. Maybe she's just trying to honor him. Perhaps she she was thinking that she's doing exactly what Jesus demanded of her. We're not sure exactly what her motives are. But nevertheless, Martha, in this event, playing the hostess, becomes the mom at Thanksgiving who frantically performs task after task in service to her family without ever sitting down and enjoying her family. This is where Martha is. And so Jesus traveled with this entourage of disciples, remember, So most likely, the house is full. It's not as if she just has Jesus to worry about, but the disciples are probably hanging around, maybe some of Jesus' followers. There's this gathering. And if you've ever hosted a large gathering in your home and you community group leaders know what I'm talking about, that can be sometimes a, a stressful event, right? You want to be hospitable. You want everybody to feel welcomed and cared for, intended to. And Martha says, I need to get to work. I need to get to work and make sure that people are cared for. There are meals to cook. There are dishes to clean, drinks to refill, beds to be made, and so much more to do as I open my home to Jesus and these guests. And so before long, Martha is engulfed in work. She's working and working and working. And her sister Mary, we are told, is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to, Jesus' teaching. The nerve on her, right? So perhaps this is just me confessing my own tendencies, but I think there's a lot of Martha in each of us. And I think as we consider we evangelicals as a movement, I think most of us connect more with Martha than in Mary in a lot of ways. Because we love the Lord. And we want to serve the Lord. But... We don't know how to enjoy the Lord. So let's talk about Martha's posture here that we see in this text. And as we do, I want to do so as a a way for all of us this morning to do a little bit of self-examination, to look into our own hearts. What are those tendencies that you and I have that are like Martha when it comes to our spiritual posture before the Lord? And let me point out three of those. First, we see... Martha is distracted. She's distracted. Verse 40 tells us that fact. The text tells us that Martha was distracted. Now, a distracted mind and heart will prevent you as a Christian from taking up the means of grace and enjoying Jesus. We can't behold the face of Christ and soak up his teaching if we can't focus our mind on him. You can't do it. And so to our shock, Martha's distraction stems from her serving, which is a point we'll come back to in just a moment. However, I think our distraction, or at least my distraction, tends to be much more trivial and trite than that (laughs) when it comes to the Lord. That the internet has, has brought this torrent of information input and spinning digital wheels all to try to attract our attention. I think for many of us, we, we have a hard time going just 30 minutes throughout our day without our phone buzzing with some sort of notification. You see, social media engineers have, have designed their apps to be like slot machines to keep us all hooked, longing for that next hit or notification. Marketing companies are spending gigantic amount of money huge amount of bucks, all to have your attention. And these technology companies have mastered the trick of distraction, of sucking your gaze into something else. You see, technology has killed off solitude for most of us. That it is now possible, with devices in our pocket, that you can eliminate every quiet moment in your life with a quick distraction. It's, it's relatively easy to do. Right, you can throw on headphones and listen to a podcast. You can listen to a song. You can listen to or watch a YouTube clip. You can scroll through your social media the moment you feel bored. The digital world offers a, a board a, a, of distractions just when you need one. There's one for you. And many of us as Christians have embraced these technologies without considering how they may diminish our capacity to focus on Christ. As Blaise Pascal once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You see, when we are distracted, we we can't meditate on God's Word. When we are bored, We tend to have this impulse where we go to our phones instead of prayer. And if you are courageous enough and do this after church, but after church, open up your your phone. Look at the screen time settings on your phone, which show you your phone usage. And you may be shocked at what you find about how distracted you may be. Americans in 2020 spent an average of 5.4 hours on their phone each day. 2.4 hours of that being on social media. Unless you think this is just a young person's problem, those millennials and their phones. No, this is a a baby boomer problem as well who also spend five hours a day on their phone. You see, this this technology, the way it's shaping our spiritual lives is is a a cross-generational problem. It's a distraction problem. It's a spiritual problem in the life of the church. Because after all, we aren't the first generation to face distractions. After all, every generation of Christians will find themselves faced with distractions which shift our attention away from the Lord. That those aren't going away. But as Christians, we face unique challenges here. Tony Ranke, who wrote an excellent little book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, wrote this. He says the human appetite for distraction is high in every age because distractions give us easy escape from the silence and solitude whereby we become acquainted with our finitude, our inescapable mortality, and the distance of God from all our desires, hopes, and pleasures. You see, enjoying God and growing in grace through the means requires Solitude and concentration upon the Lord. In fact, in a future sermon, we will do a whole thinking through the means of grace of solitude and its importance in the life of a believer. But you see, enjoying God requires that time where we can set our face before the Lord without distractions. And while we will always face dis- distractions in doing so, we, we must realize that the smartphone. Even if it's out of reach, and even if we throw it away and get a dumb phone, we have to see that smartphones just simply amplify distraction, and they deaden our attention to behold that which is truly glorious, which is the splendor of Christ. So we see Martha is distracted. She's not distracted with her smartphone. She's distracted in a different way. She's distracted with serving. And that leads secondly to Martha is busy. <laughs> Martha is busy. You see, Martha's distraction is different. And Luke tells us in the text, verse 40, that Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. With much serving. Now, this may may come as a shock to us. I know I feel this shock every time I, I read this verse for myself. That that is it possible that that my serving Jesus can be a spiritual distraction in my life? Is it possible to be too busy serving Jesus that we miss Jesus completely? And yet Martha shows us. That this is a common problem in the Christian life. Remember, we, we like to be active for Jesus. We want to do something for the Lord. That's that's our natural impulse, a part of this evangelical culture in which we live. And while serving Jesus is a gloriously good thing to do, if our activity robs us of fellowship with Jesus, then we have a really big problem. It's easy to mistake our Christian activity with communion with God. If you don't believe me, look at pastor after pastor who resigns from ministry due to moral failure for getting this lesson, right? Christian activity is not a replacement for personal communion with God. And for so many of us, we measure the health of our relationship with Christ by how much we are doing for him. It's the wrong metric. Right? We think, am I serving the church? Am I, am I helping this organization? Am I leading a Bible study? What, what is the good thing that I'm doing to serve the Lord? And while it is a wonderful thing to serve the Lord and to serve the church, our active service for Jesus cannot rob away personal enjoyment of Jesus. And that's what happens in the, the case of Martha. Martha isn't distracted by Netflix. She's distracted by serving, by serving. Martha's mistake, and it's the one that we make, is that we believe that what God really wants for us, what he wants from me, what he wants from me is is my ministry. That's what God wants from me. But Jesus is going to inform more. Uh, Martha says, Martha, what I really want is for you to enjoy me. Enjoy me. That's what I want from you. I want you to spend time. At my feet, I want you to sit and listen and enjoy my presence. You see, if you find yourself with a calendar full, which eliminates any margin time to spend enjoying the Lord, then, friend, you really need to recheck your priorities. I guess most of us commit ourselves to many things. And unlike Martha, a lot of those things really aren't all that important we not serving Jesus per se. We just got things that really on our calendar that have no spiritual significance. And for families with children, I think this is a huge thing we have to constantly be evaluating. Check your family calendars. Do you have time for personal communion with God in the means of grace every day? What about as a family? If not, you've got to make some hard decisions and determine what is truly important to you. Is it the Lord or is it your hobbies? Is it the spiritual health of your children or is it their athletic performance? You see, your knowledge of Scripture, that I want to know more of the Lord, that's, that's my priority, that's what, guiding my, my activity and my, my structure and my time, I want to know more of God's Word, or do I just want to be entertained and numbed by whatever I find on the TV screen. You see, church, we have to remember, and Martha shows us this, that busyness is not a badge you wear to prove your worth to God. It's not it. Busyness, Martha shows us, can actually rob us of the communion with God that he saved us for and that he longs to have with us. Second, we see Martha is... Busy. She's distracted. She's busy. Thirdly, she's she's anxious. She's anxious. Martha's distracted serving in the house began to do this strange thing in Martha's heart where she began to get frustrated and embittered and anxious. And she became embittered about her sister who, in her mind, lazily lounges around listening to Jesus while she's out there doing all the serving. She's out there doing the hard work. Right? She's the one doing the work. Mary's doing nothing. And Martha believed that Jesus would be on her side about this. Right? That's, that's her instinct. And so she goes up to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get to work. Tell her to help me. Tell her to pick up a dish and wash it. Something. She, she needs to help out. She needs to serve. And Martha approached him and just said, look, look at what she says verse 41 and 42. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And then then Jesus' answer is, is tender. Jesus is tender, gentle and lowly in heart. But his answer is surprising to Martha. Look at what he says, verse 41. Martha, Martha. See that tenderness of Christ. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, anxiety and trouble about temporal concerns can steal our focus away from Jesus. Like Martha, much of what we concern ourselves with each day doesn't have eternal significance, does it? It doesn't. On that day, with Jesus in the house, no one would have cared if the dishes stayed in the sink till tomorrow. No one would have complained about the floor being unswept. Jesus was in the house. (laughs) He was in the house. The Son of God sat in Martha's living room and yet... She busied herself and troubled herself about many anxious things that have no eternal value when the Son of God sits in her home. You see, she busied herself with many things. She was anxious about many things, but in the process, she missed the one thing. The one thing that was necessary. The one thing that will not be taken away. You see, just like Martha, you and I, we can find ourselves anxious, Troubled about many things. Even this morning, I found myself preparing for this text to preach about being distracted and anxious. I found myself distracted and anxious about some things going on in my life. It's, It's so easy to do, isn't it? We can find ourselves concerned with all sorts of energies diverted, work, finances, family, chores, health, on and on and on they go, and they can siphon off attention and energy and focus that the Lord deserves from us. You see, the worries of the world are many and unceasing, and yet Jesus invites us day after day to choose him, to enjoy him, to be with him, and to be satisfied in him. I and mean, just think about your life. How much of your energy every day and your attention goes to things that just won't matter? They won't matter tomorrow, let alone let alone in the scope of eternity. Yes, Jesus tells Martha, that the time we spend growing in Christ, sitting at his feet, setting our gaze upon him, studying his word, communing with him in prayer, Jesus says these are the blessings that will not be taken away. It's the one thing that is necessary. The fruit of fellowship with God is a fruit that will not rot. It is the good portion. It's the portion that will not be taken away from us. You see, as we look at Martha's posture, and in many ways, she is a mirror of herself. And so just as Martha invites Jesus into her home, by the end of the text, we see that Jesus is inviting Martha to come and sit and enjoy him. Jesus tells Martha to, to choose that good portion However, Mary provides an example to us. And that leads, secondly, to as we consider the posture of Mary. We get just one verse of description here as we think about Mary. But nevertheless, we get a clear view of her posture before the Lord, particularly when compared and contrasted with her busybody sister. Here's what Luke tells us. Luke says, that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So like we did with Martha, let me give you three descriptions here of Mary's posture before the Lord on this day. First, Mary is humble. She's humble, isn't she? Luke tells us that she sits at our Lord's feet. That the location of her sitting emphasizes her humility before the Lord. That she places herself beneath him, longing to hear from him as her teacher. She's almost childlike here in a way, isn't she? She, She's like a a, a child who, who hangs upon every word of Christ, and her humility before Jesus brings her near to Jesus. She wants to be near the Lord. So much so that she's sitting almost on top of him. She's sitting at his feet. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to do a kid's birthday party with young children. And when that one kid begins to open their presence, what do all the kids do? They flock to that kid and they try to push and shove to get the best view, to get as close to the the person opening the presence as possible. It's exactly what Mary is almost doing here, right? She wants to be as close, as near to Jesus. She wants to sit at his feet. She wants to be in his presence. You see, when we take up the means of grace, we have to have this posture of humility and eagerness before the Lord. That when we sit down to open the scriptures, or when we begin a fast, we must realize I need Jesus. I have this desperate need for him. You see, we take up these means of grace and humility and humbleness, trying to to draw near to the Lord. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I long for you. This is why thinking of spiritual habits in your life as a chore, as nothing more than a religious duty that you begrudgingly perform, if you think about them that way, your affections will be cooled. And you will have no desire for Jesus because you're missing the point. Right? If you've yet to establish a routine every day, it's best to do that every day, humbly with the Lord, where you can take up the means of grace. That whether you call it a quiet time or a time with the Lord or the times of means of grace, which I put in my calendar, right? We, we all need moments every day where we can sit humbly at the feet of Jesus. We we need to do this. We need time each day to sit at our Lord's feet, to listen to him, and to enjoy him. And during that time, we take up the means of grace, particularly the means of word and prayer. We take these up, trusting and hoping that through them, God will show us more of himself. And so we listen to God's word and we read it, we study it, we meditate upon it, we quietly raise our voice to the Lord in prayer in these times and we come to God each day humbling, expressing our need and dependence upon him and hungering for his word. Mary had a humbleness about her. Second, we see that Mary is attentive. She's attentive to the Lord. Luke tells us, that while sitting at the Lord's feet, she listens to his teaching. Listens to his teaching. Something most of us aren't very good at listening, but that's what, what she's doing here. Communing with God and growing in holiness requires attentiveness, focus, listening. This is why distractions, the sort of distractions we just talked about with Martha, These are why distractions are so perilous. Because if we hope to behold Christ and to enjoy all the benefits of our union with him, if we want to fix our gaze in him, we have to bring our attention to focus. Focus upon Jesus. Focus upon his word. We have to think deeply about what God has spoken. And this involves meditating upon the scriptures as we cling to the Lord. You see, Mary realizes that as Jesus is in her house, she has an amazing opportunity. Jesus is there, sitting with her. And instead of picking up a, a broom and getting to work, she says, no, I want to I sit here. I want to take advantage of this moment with Jesus, not only being in my town, but being in my house. And I want to sit at his feet, and I want to lock my gaze, and I want to listen. I want to hang off of every word that comes out of his mouth. Now, we have to understand that, Christian, you have that same privilege. You have that same opportunity every single day, that the Spirit of Christ is within you. At any time and at any place, we can sit at the feet of Jesus. We can take our Bibles. We can open them up. We can hear the living God speak as we read his word. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has given us. That because of our union with Christ, we can commune with him anytime, anywhere. But yet, how foolishly do we spurn this incredible blessing that we have in Christ? That we can converse with God in prayer anytime. That access to God is now open to us because we are in Christ. What a remarkable privilege. And yet, it is one that we so often squander, either by our negligence or by our hurriedness. We squander it. You see, the means of grace require focus and attention. Growth in Christ requires skills that we often lack today. The internet has made us superficial readers of things, I think much to our detriment, And it's easy to begin to read the scriptures like you would a blog post you find online. We read the scriptures deeply, friends, not superficially. With attention and focus upon every every word, every preposition. We read and we reread and we meditate and chew upon the word of God. We must learn to do this. And in the quiet of solitude, we fix our attention upon Christ. What we do. You see, when you rush through your spiritual disciplines, you fail to put extended attention on the Lord that true spiritual growth actually requires. See, most of us don't give the attention to these means as we should. And so we feel like we're not getting anything out of them because we're doing it in a hurried, unfocused way. You're not not thinking about the Lord, you're trying to get it done. And as soon as you adopt that posture, You're going to miss the beauty of what it means to commune with God every day. Slow down. That might be the best practical advice I might give you in this whole series. Slow down. Take a breath. Be attentive. Your goal is not to complete a task, nor to study for an exam to be tested upon. Your time before the Lord is one to enjoy. 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 We must rest in his presence with attention upon the teaching of Christ. And like Mary, may we cling to every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Mary is attentive, humble, attentive. Thirdly, Mary is patient. Mary is patient. The means of grace demand a patient waiting on the Lord. Part of that slowing down I was just talking about. And that's exactly what we see modeled here in Mary's life, in her posture. She isn't in a hurry here, is she? Not at all. She's not going anywhere. Her attention is fixed upon Jesus as she sits on his feet. Every other concerns, every other thing that she could be doing, all of that is cast aside. She's locked in patiently, waiting and listening attentively to Jesus. You see, when you and I take up the means of grace, we have to understand that our posture is one of Patiently waiting before the Lord. Patiently waiting. Mistakenly, we can begin to think of the means of grace like spiritual levers. It's a wrong way of thinking about them. Right, we can begin to think that if I pull the right levers of the means of grace in the right combination, in the right order, then I can produce instant holiness, instant enjoyment with God. And if we're not careful, we can begin to think of the means of grace like spiritual life hacks. Tips and tricks for your best spiritual growth now. Now, That's not not the way they're designed. By doing so, we can become obsessed with thinking about a method. And we like to ask those sort of method questions, don't we? They're not wrong, but but we like to talk about things like, well, what Bible plan are you reading? What time of day are you doing it? Give me your tips and tricks for getting up early to spend time with God. Or how do you memorize the the scripture? Give me your technique. Or, oh, you've got a system of keeping up in prayers? Share that with me. I want to learn your system so I can be a better prayer warrior, right? Now, such practical counsel is helpful. I'm not disregarding that. We'll have some of that throughout the series. But if our pragmatic minds think only about the mechanics of something, and if our only focus is to replicate what works in the lives of other people, then you've kind of missed the whole point. These are means to be enjoyed. Sanctification is not a very efficient process. It <laughs> doesn't work that way. God isn't as concerned with the efficiency of our sanctification as much as he is concerned with our patient, humble, attentive, daily reliance upon him. That's what God wants. And God often does the work of sanctification in the life of of the believer very, very slowly. If it was fast, I would be out of a job as a pastor rather quickly, right? But we are sinners. We're slow. We're thick-headed. We, sanctification is a slow work of grace in our lives. And so when you take up the means of grace, sometimes you will have moments by God's amazing grace that you will have a unique sense of the sweetness of Jesus' love for you as you spend time with him. It will be as sweet and as evident like nothing you've ever experienced. In those moments, the heavens will be rolled back and you will see the glory of Christ with clarity like never before. And what sweet moments those are in the life of the believer. I pray that you've had such moments of communion with God. But not every moment is like that. On other occasions, we will find our affections dull and our growth in Christ will feel very slow like molasses. And Nevertheless, what do we do? We patiently wait upon the Lord. We take up the means of grace, trusting that God will, at his proper time, set our souls ablaze with his glory. You see, our hearts are, are like Elijah's altar at Mount Carmel. We stack the fuel on the fire, But you and I, we are powerless to start the fire. Our hearts are wet (laughs) and they cannot be set ablaze by us. They can only be set ablaze by God. But yet the Christian who sits under the means of grace, puts fuel upon the fire, trusting that God at his proper time will bring his fire from heaven and will set us ablaze. You see, part of the reason, I think, for our lackluster spiritual growth is, is we grow impatient with it. it. seems too slow, too difficult. We don't sense an immediate impact of the means of grace on our, our lives, and so we just kind of give up with them and stop doing them. And we look for some spiritual fad or alternative to help us, and what an error that is. And so too we then begin to stray from the pipeline of sanctifying grace and begin to look to something or someone elsewhere to sanctify us. As the Puritan Richard Sibb says, he says this, he says, For it is he, by his Spirit, that works upon the heart and doth preserve tenderness in us. And he will work only by his own means. All the devices in the world will not work upon the heart. Therefore, let us be under the means that they may preserve tenderness and hear what God's word says of our estate by nature, of the wrath and justice of God, and of the judgment that will shortly come upon all the world. See what Sibs is saying here. As Christians have always had this kind of impulse, well, let me see what else is out there that can connect me with God. And Sib says, no, 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 that's, a, that's an erroneous thing to do. God works through the means that he has given. The means of grace are the channels that God has prescribed in his word that he has promised that he will use to build up his church and sanctify you. So don't start getting curious and going elsewhere. Stay Patient under the means of grace, trusting that the Spirit of God is and will work through them just as he has promised. So we sit, we wait, under the diligent pursuit of the means of grace, knowing that God will preserve us and mature us in the faith through him. This is partly what what Paul is talking about when he describes the joint work of sanctification in Philippians. Do you remember that? He talks about how God does the work, but he does it through our working Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, our working isn't so much working, but a resting. <laughs> it's a sitting under the means of grace. And we're diligent in their use. We take them up knowing that God will use them in our lives and we sit like Mary humbly and attentively with patience at the feet of Jesus ready for the Lord to transform us by his grace. That's the posture of the Christian life. So let's thirdly consider your posture. Your posture. As we look at Martha and Mary This leads us to consider our posture before the Lord. We have spent the last several weeks trying to to paint a picture, a big picture of the Christian life. What it means to be united to Christ, the joys of abiding in Jesus, how the grace of holiness is applied to the life of the believer day by day. And I hope that through these last few weeks, through the means of the preached word that the Lord has provoked within you a hunger for him in a new way, in a fresh way that you long for in your life. And I pray that that we would long to know God with intimacy, that we would long to be transformed as we behold Christ day after day. I know that the Lord has done that work in in my life, causing me to long for this and yearn for this, to know it. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of those specific means of grace. The first one we'll talk about is the Word, which we'll get to next week. But I urge you, before we start talking about the specific means of grace and their use in the life of the believer, I want to urge you to take them up. I'm going to urge you to put them into practice. However, for today... We don't want to think through the mechanics. We want to think through our posture. How do I assess my posture before the Lord this day? Answer that question. What is the state of my current spiritual habits? Am I hurried? Am I short on time? Do I got a lot to do? Am I rushed? Or am I slow and unhurried? Do I see the means of grace as as an obligation to perform or... Am I distracted? If I am being distracted, what's distracting me and why? Do I need to, to rethink my, my daily routine, my weekly calendar, and better prioritize time with the Lord in my own life, and the life of my family? Am I like Martha here? Am I being anxious about many things and neglecting the, the one thing that will not be taken from me? You see, as you take up the means of grace, you will find, Time and time again, how weak and feeble you are in sustaining them. My own life is testimony to this fact. You will stumble, you will fall, you will fail. Your sinful heart will frequently take them up. And by taking them up, you'll do so imperfectly and and in weakness. But thank the Lord that his work of grace isn't dependent upon my perfect use of the means of grace. They're very much flawed. But nevertheless, the Lord uses our failed and fledgling attempts to sanctify us for his glory. This is the word of John Owen, who wrote in his book, classic book called Communion with God. He wrote this. He says, believers obey Christ as the one whom our obedience is accepted by God. Believers know all their duties are weak, imperfect, and unable to abide in God's presence. Therefore, they look to Christ as the one who bears the iniquity of their holy things, who adds incense to their prayers, gathers out all the weeds from their duties, and makes them acceptable to God. See, as we take up the means of grace together as a church, as we seek to grow in our communion with the Lord as a church family, may Christ sanctify us even in our failure. And may he use the means of grace even in our feeble attempts. May he use them for his glory and our enjoyment of him. Let's pray together. Father, we are so very grateful for your great grace to us. And Father, we are thankful, Lord, that because of Jesus, we have access to you. Lord, we are sinners who fall short time and time again. And Lord, we are grateful, Lord, that even though we are rebels against you, you have saved us by faith in Christ. And Lord, that all who repent and put their faith in Jesus will be saved from their sin, but Lord, also united to Jesus. Father, so much of what we've talked about this morning This posture of our heart is rooted in your wondrous work of redemption and what it means to be united to Jesus in faith. Father, I pray for every believer here this morning, Lord, that they would hunger and long to know more of you, to experience more of that communion offered to them because of their union with Jesus. And Father, I do pray, Lord, for those here who don't know Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that their hearts would be humbled. But, Lord, help them to see that communion with God is not an option for them as they are. Lord, that they must first be reconciled to you. They must first confess their sin to you, Father. They must look to Jesus, who is the Savior. And they must repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ, who died in their place. Father, I pray, Lord, that those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that even through this sermon that their hearts might be provoked to know you, God. Lord, help them to see that that can only happen in Christ. And Father, that you would lead them to repentance and faith in Jesus this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.